You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. First hour, we had someone back with us. It was exciting, and uh, I want to share that because he wanted me to tell all of you, thank you for your prayers. Uh, Doug Vance, Doug and Kelly Vance were here first hour, and, and if you know Doug, you know uh, about two months ago, he came down with COVID, and, and it got pretty bad. They had to take him to the hospital, and, and he was in the hospital, and then it got worse, and they put him on a ventilator, and, and he was on a ventilator unconscious for over three weeks. And uh, as I was talking to him this morning, the, the day that he was able to get off the ventilator and the day he woke up was Easter morning. And he was just saying how great it was that Jesus has risen and brought him life. And so uh, he wanted me to relay to all of you. He said, be sure to thank Second Hour, if you will, for all of their prayers. Uh, It's neat because this week, this is his first week back, he he got out of the hospital and was even on a walker. And and this week he's here and he's without the walker. And and it's a week that we're looking at amazing faith and a faith that brought a little girl to life and, and just this amazing faith. There's a story uh, of a woman that invi- asked a local pastor to come pray with her elderly dad. Her dad was on his final days, and, and he was at the house in bed, and, and so he had asked the, the pastor to come. And the pastor arrived. He was new to the area, and he said, oh, welcome, sir. Uh, he said, hello, sir. I see you knew I was going to be here. And he said, no, I, I didn't know you were coming. Why would you ask that? Why would you say that? And he said, well, I, I see there's an empty chair. And right by the man's bed was, sat an empty chair. And uh, the old man said, oh, no, uh, let me tell you. What, will you go close the door? So the pastor goes and closes the door. And he comes back, and, and the man begins to tell him. He said, years ago, I struggled with prayer. I had you close the door because I didn't want my daughter to hear this because I've always tried to set an example for my kids, but but I've always struggled with prayer. I've felt disconnected. It felt so just mysterious. It it didn't seem like there was any connection with with God until one day a friend of mine said, it's not that hard to pray. And I said, it it is for me. He said, no, tell you what you need to do. He said, go grab a couple chairs. And so the, the friend went and showed him, showed the old man, He said, grab a couple chairs, and then with those chairs, sit down in one of them and begin to talk. Just begin to talk as if you were talking to me right now. He said, talk to Jesus as if he was in that chair. The old man was sharing with the pastor that he said, the first time I did it, I felt really weird and awkward, right? But then the next time, I felt a little more comfortable. And then the next time it was more comfortable to the point where I loved talking so much to Jesus because it was as if he was there with me. It's I knew that I had this faith that he was here with me as the Bible says and by having a chair, it was a way that I could see that he was there. I would spend an hour or two a day talking with Jesus. The pastor had a good visit and left and a couple days later the daughter called and said, I just want to let you know my daddy passed away today. And the pastor said, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Did he go in peace? She said, yeah, I think he did. He called me over to his house, and, and I came, and, and he told me he loved me, and he gave me a kiss, and then he sent me to go get some groceries. And when I came home about an hour later, he had passed away. She said, but the strangest part was I came in and found him passed away, 
but his head was lying on the chair next to him. I love that story because it's a story of faith. It's a story of this man that has enough faith that Jesus is there with him, that as he's taking his last breath and he's preparing for eternity in heaven, he literally wants to lay his head on Jesus' lap, to be there with Jesus. It's a great story of faith, just like we're about to come upon in Mark chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, feel free to open it. We also have it up on the screen. But we've been working through the book of Mark, and we've made it to Mark chapter 5. And, and last week we looked at Mark, uh, that Jesus has come through a storm across the lake, and through this wild storm, and they pursued just for this one demon-possessed man. This one man that was tormented, Jesus did all that to free him. And then the locals that were scared of Jesus and of his powers asked Jesus to leave. And so the disciples, they go back across the lake with Jesus. And that's where our story picks up. Verse 21, chapter 5 says, And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. They've now traveled back to the Jewish region, to a region that he's been before. Specifically, they're back in Capernaum. And if you followed along in Mark, you, you might remember Mark chapter 1. This is where our story begins. It's Capernaum is where, Mark, is where Jesus gathers his disciples and he pulls uh, Peter and, and the, this is Peter's hometown. And so we see one of Jesus' first miracles is that he heals Jesus, is Peter's mother-in-law. And then when word spreads in the town that Peter's mother-in-law is healed, everyone starts coming. And they start bringing the sick to, to Jesus. They start bringing the demon-possessed to Jesus. They start bringing those that are hurting, those that are suffering, everyone to Jesus. And Jesus heals them all throughout that night. This is all in chapter 1. And so now we're back in this town. And imagine the testimonies and imagine the stories that have spread in Capernaum. Now there's once demon-possessed people that are caring for their children. Now there's once crippled people walking around in, in the marketplace. Now there's once the sick who are now working in the shops. There's living, moving testimonies of faith all throughout this town. And so this town is excited that Jesus is back, and a great crowd comes. Everyone wants to see him again. Everyone wants to see what he'll do. Everyone wants to bring their own problems, their own sicknesses to Jesus. And so this great crowd is gathering around him. Continues, now came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. Jarius is the leader of the synagogue. By this time, many of the religious rulers are turned against Jesus. They're even plotting on how to capture him or how to trick him or even how to kill him. But not Jarius. Jarius knows that this man is a miracle worker. Jarius knows that this man is the Messiah. The things that Jesus proclaimed in chapter 1 here in Capernaum, that he has come to, to tell people that he is the Messiah, that the kingdom of God is here, Jarius has believed this. Jarius is the ruler of the synagogue. He wasn't a rabbi, he wasn't a teacher, but he was, he was like the guy in charge of the synagogue, the person that unlocked it and closed it at the end of the night, the person that made sure everything was organized and everything was well stocked. It was a highly respectable job. It was a highly honorable job. He was a man of great dignity in this town. And he hears Jesus is there and he comes running. He comes running because his little girl is sick. 
The Greek here, it, it says it's not even just sick, but it'd be, it'd be almost dead. The little girl doesn't need to go to hospital. The little girl isn't in the hospital. She hasn't even been upgraded to the ICU. This little girl's past that. Hospice has been called. And they're just waiting for her to die. There's nothing they can do. Jarius has tried everything. And you can imagine the pain of a father, the pain of his wife, her mother, as they watch their little girl suffering and dying. You can imagine Jarius hasn't slept for days, and his eyes are puffy and red from the tears. And he's just been holding his daughter, watching her breathe her last breath. Him and his wife are there crying, pleading to God, why would this happen? Do something. When the word comes, a messenger comes, knocks on the door, and, and busts his way in. And as they sit there and hold their little girl, the messenger says, he's back. Who's back? The miracle worker's back. Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, is back. And they quickly look at each other, Jairus and his wife, and she turns to him and says, go, save our daughter. He squeezes her one last time, gives her a kiss, and hands her to his wife, and he picks up his robe, and he takes off running. A man of great honor, a man of great dignity, shouldn't run, shouldn't bow down to anybody, but he does. He gets to the crown, and he elbows his way through to get up to Jesus, and he falls at his knees, and he pleads for him, come, save my daughter. Jarius is scared. He's brokenhearted. He's lost. But Jarius has faith. So verse 24 says, and he went with him. Jesus sees his faith, and Jesus says, okay. And so they begin this journey to Jarius' house. And I'm sure Jarius is wanting him to walk faster and trying to hustle him along. And this crowd is all around him, still bogging down Jesus, trying to get closer to him, trying to get him to heal, trying to hear what he has to say, trying to, to have him kiss their baby and get an autograph. And this whole crowd is coming, and Jarius just wants him to get, get to the house as fast as he can. And it says, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had been suffering much and her many physicians and had spent all she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. This woman's had menstrual bleeding for 12 years. It's never stopped. The pain, the cramps, everything has been going on for 12 years. She's been suffering. She's been hurting. For 12 years, she has tried everything, says so that she spent all her money to go to every primitive first century gynecologist that she could find, and you can imagine those weren't the best visits. She's probably tried every superstition at this time. There's a superstition that if you took the, carry the ashes of an ostrich egg in a linen bag, it would go away. There's a tradition that if you carry, if you carry the seeds from the dung of a female donkey, it would go away. So many crazy ideas, and I'm sure she's tried them all. She's desperate. She's tried everything for 12 years because it's not just the pain, but she's emotionally hurting. She's considered unclean if she's bleeding. So she hasn't been in the synagogue for 12 years. She probably doesn't even know Jarius, and he doesn't know her. because She's never got to go. 
No one's allowed to touch her or they would be unclean. So no one's given her a hug in 12 years. Sure, she's not married and doesn't have kids because she couldn't have a family in that condition. So she's alone. One more strike in this time and culture. And here she is, hurting, getting worse. And so she elbows her way through the crowd and she tries to get to this Jesus. She remembers when he was here, she remembers the teaching that he is the Messiah. And she's hurting so bad. She's so lonely, she's so broken, but she has faith in the Messiah. It says that she heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garment, I will be made well. See, every devout Jew would wear a prayer shawl like this. And it would go over their neck and, and it would drape down. And at the bottom of it are tassels and, and several long tassels. And these tassels were to remind them that they were meant to, as this comes from Hebrews, that they were meant to be able to look at those and remember that God is the God over them. To remember the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That there was great significance in each one of those tassels. And she believed if I just reach out and touch, if I could get close enough to Jesus to just touch one of these tassels, I could be healed. There's a belief that there was healing power in the garments of a holy man. She has faith that she could be healed if she just touches his garment. And so she plows her way through the crowd. Even though she's not supposed to be there, no one's allowed to be close to her. No one's allowed to touch her because she's unclean. If they knew what was going on in her, she'd be an outcast. If they knew, they would kick her out. If they knew, they might do worse and stone her for being in the midst of this crowd. But she's willing to chance it all. And she reaches out and she grabs hold. And she's immediately healed. The passage says, and immediately the flow of the blood dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. I love this, immediately it happens. We've seen this over through chapter four and chapter five. Remember the storm, this great storm is raging and Jesus speaks and immediately it stops. The demon-possessed man comes running and screaming at the beginning of chapter five and Jesus releases the demons and immediately the man is calm. This woman reaches out and grabs hold of the tassel and immediately she's healed. For 12 years, she's been unclean, unholy. She's been at the end of her rope. She reaches out and cries out in one final move of faith. And she's healed. Faith has healed her. The amazing grace of God working through the healing power of Jesus Christ has made her new. And verse 30 says, And Jesus perceived in himself that power had gone out from him and immediately turned around the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see this crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? He has taken on her uncleanness. He has taken on her sickness. And he has imparted on her purity and health. He feels that. He knows that's happened. And so even though crowds are around him, he knows that someone has come in faith and touched him. And so he asks this question and the disciples say, are you serious? Everyone's touching you. He's not asking the disciples. He's asking the crowd knowing that the person that did this in faith was going to come forward. And here she knows she's about to have it. She shouldn't have been in the crowd. 
because of her bleeding. She certainly shouldn't touch a rabbi and make him unclean. Now she expects a rebuke. Now she expects a lecture. Now she expects perhaps even worse, physical retaliation from the town for her being there. And get this. And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And here it says, And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. He doesn't rebuke her at all. In fact, his first word is daughter. His first word is I love you. His first word is I embrace you. His first word is you're part of my family. The things that she hasn't experienced for 12 years in one word. He sums it all up and he calls her daughter. He includes her. And then I love, he says, your faith has made you well. Not these cords. Her faith that he was the Messiah has made her well. I can imagine she just sat there, tears rolling down her cheeks. Finally, after 12 years, I've been made whole because of her faith. Remember where we were going? Remember the journey, the crowd, where are we headed? Jairus' house. Elliot had shared with us when he made that sandwich a couple weeks ago that Mark does this a lot, that there's a, a sandwich story, a story within a story. And, and I don't know, it's easy to forget when you see this interruption that we're headed to Jairus' house. And if there's anything that we could take from this story, I think it might be that. Look at how Jesus handles an interruption. He sees it as an opportunity. An opportunity to love, an opportunity to share about God, an opportunity to bless someone. So often, we see opportunities as just distractions, something frustrating, right? You're trying to work on a project at work, and someone comes and just wants to talk in your office, and you're just frustrated with them, and you're annoyed at this interruption. Perhaps you're at home, and it's been a long day, and you're, you're making a meal, and your kids keep coming, Dad, look at this, Dad, look at this. I say, I'm making dinner. Don't you see I'm trying to do this for you? Go, go play, go watch something, Instead of taking advantage of that interruption and sharing the love of God. That's what Jesus does in an interruption. He fully dives into that who interrupts them. So they're headed to Jarius' place. And, and I got to thank Jarius, on the other hand, he's not Jesus. He's sitting here thinking, Jesus, come on. She's been bleeding for 12 years. My daughter has minutes left. I don't know if she's going to make it by the time we get back. Come on, Jesus, stop talking to this woman. Let's move on. You can come back to her. Jairus is hoping that he would go, hoping that we would get this journey going. But it says, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear only belief. The bad news has come. All hope seems lost. People say, don't bother the teacher anymore. Don't bother Jesus anymore. I don't know about you, but I think that is the thought of a lot of us sometimes. Why would God care about my little problem? He's got so many things going on in the world. Why, why would he care about my life? I don't need to bother him about this. 
What's God going to be even able to do? It would take a miracle to fix what's going on. Why bother him with this? Or perhaps sometimes we, we blame ourselves. This is my problem. I don't need to bother God with it. This is my thing to work through. Why would God want to help me when I'm the one that got us into this situation? Everyone came and said, don't bother the teacher anymore. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, let's go. He said, do not fear, only believe. What a powerful message. When we're facing strongholds, when we're facing things that we're very scared of, do not fear, only believe. And so Jarius continues the walk with Jesus. This big crowd's been around Jesus. Everyone's trying to get to him, trying to get him to, to teach, trying to get him to heal. And at this point, Jesus sees that that's not the moment for that. Jesus sees the pain in Jarius' eyes as he lost his little girl. I don't think we're alone when we're struggling. Jesus is with us. In the midst of what you feel might be your loneliest moment, in the midst of anxiety, in the midst of worry, in the midst of, a, of stress, in the midst of fear, in the midst of that test, in the midst of that diagnosis, Jesus is there with us, and he loves us, and he sees us. And so he sees Jarius, brokenhearted, tears falling. So Jesus sends away the crowd to give Jarius and his family some privacy. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing. This little girl, everyone's come and said their final goodbyes. They knew that this moment was coming, but it's finally here. It breaks everyone's heart. The family has come, aunts and uncles, cousins are all there crying with Jairus' wife. Perhaps the little girl's friends that she, she would run around with, that she would play with her there, and their parents brokenhearted and crying as well. They even had professional mourners at this time. The Bible says that even a poor person would hire two flute players to be a, a professional mourner. You can imagine what the ruler of the synagogue could, could hire. And so there's this great commotion of weeping and, and mourning and, and people playing flutes and, and just crying out, Tears crying out to God, people hurting. And it says, when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making the commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and they went in where the child was. All these people are mocking and laughing at Jesus. And Jesus doesn't care. And Jarius doesn't care. Jarius goes with Jesus further inside. I think this is a great example for us. You might have faith that people will mock, people will laugh at, that coworkers will call you a goody two-shoes, that the fellow students will, will make fun of you, that even maybe in your own home there, there's a battle that people will tease you and make fun of you for your belief in God. And at that Look at the story and see those people are sent out. But Jesus is still there with Jarius because Jarius has faith. So they go in to see the little girl lying dead.
Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumai, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years old of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he had strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. The little girl is restored. Like her spiritual sister, this little girl, it doesn't matter her gender, it doesn't matter her namelessness, it doesn't matter her uncleanness, it doesn't matter her impossible condition, Jesus still saw her. Jesus still cared. This story is sandwiched because you see this amazing similarities between Jairus and, and the bleeding woman. Both knew that only Jesus could help. Both were humbled themselves and came before, God, before Jesus. Both believed Jesus could heal, he could bring life. Both believed he was the Messiah. Both had great faith. We got the story of Doug, who was here first hour, who God brought back virtually from the dead. He was almost dead. And he was here this morning worshiping. And so you hear about these stories, and I'd love to tell you, if we just have faith, then everything will work out. If we just have faith, everything will be okay. If we have faith, that diagnosis will be cured. If we have faith, that relationship will work out. If we have faith, and I'd love to tell you that, but that's not what the point of this story is. The point of this story isn't that if we have faith, we'll have a miracle. And while that does happen sometimes, there's a bigger point that we could take from this. See, those miracles were happening to illustrate the message Jesus has in Mark chapter 1. When he says, the kingdom of God is here. I've come to proclaim I am the Messiah. Those miracles were to reinforce that this person, this teacher, was the Messiah. Those miracles were to point that this is the Son of God. Those miracles served not to, to, be the, uh, to, to, to be the reason that you believed, but to be the evidence that he was the Messiah. It was for everyone to see, everyone to learn that these are point, arrows pointing to Jesus as the Son of God, just as they are for us today. That we could take from this story and see this. That we could see this miracle and grow in our faith. That we could see that this Jesus is the Messiah. Because our faith is so much more than hoping for a miracle, hoping for, for extra life or healing from bleeding. Our faith brings us eternity. Check this out in Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, you and I have been made right by our faith. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Because of our faith, we get to joyfully share in God's glory. Because of our faith, we have salvation. Because of our faith, we have eternity in heaven. While it might seem like at this moment that we just need a miracle, this is so much greater then bringing that little girl back to life, this is so much greater than healing the woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. This is eternity. Our faith allows us to joyfully look forward to sharing in God's glory. Those words, don't be afraid, don't be afraid only 
believe. Oh, they stand out. That woman who's willing to fight through a crowd just to grab on to this tassel because she knew he would heal. Jarius, who is willing to humbly submit himself before Jesus and run to him and fall at his knees. This great faith. Do we have that faith? That passion to pursue him? And imagine their testimony. Right? Imagine this woman's testimony now that she's been made whole, now that she's clean. Maybe perhaps she got married. Maybe perhaps she had kids. And for generations down their line, they would be able to tell the story about the Messiah that healed their great-grandma. Imagine this little girl as she grows up. And she says, you know, I shouldn't even be here today. Let me tell you about the Messiah. Because of their faith. Imagine the testimony that we have because of our faith. That we can tell others, I have security in, for, in heaven. I have eternity laid out. I can joyfully join in God's glory because of my faith. And what I love about it, this story, is these two people, Jarius and the bleeding woman, had that much faith, and they don't even know how the story ends. You and I do. We get to see the end of the book of Mark and see that Jesus dies on the cross for your sins and my sins and for the sins of the bleeding woman and for the sins of Jarius and for the sins of that little girl. He dies on the cross and he takes on all those sins and three days later, he raises from the dead. He conquers the sins of that little girl. He conquers the sins of the bleeding woman. He conquers the sins of Jarius. He conquers your sins and my sins. And he, raises, and he raises from the dead. And he conquers Satan. And because of that, we can rejoice. Because if we have faith in that, if we believe that Jesus is our Savior and our Messiah, we have this faith that should prompt action. Jarius, the woman, were willing to go and do something because they had that much faith. Are we willing to go and do? Where is God prompting you to go? What is he asking you to do? And do you have the faith to follow through with that? Do you have the faith to see that Jesus is here with you all the time? Here with you this morning? Here with you at home? Do you have the faith to be able to sit and pray. To see Jesus there next to you and, and open your heart to Jesus. To tell him you love him. To tell him you're thankful. To tell him where you're scared, where you're hurting, where you're anxious. To be able to be with Jesus. Every Sunday we have communion. For that very purpose, for us to take time to be with Jesus. And this morning is no different. But this morning I'm going to ask you to maybe take a little longer for communion. Because at each station we have one of these prayer shawls. And underneath the communion basket is even the tassels that the woman, similar to those that the woman would pull out, would reach out. And there's nothing miraculous about these prayer shawls. But I also ask you that this morning to go in faith, 
come before the Lord. Perhaps grab the communion and reach out to those tassels and just thank God that you get to share in the glory of the Lord. To thank God that we have been made right by our faith. To ask God, God, what do you want me to do? How can I go and be in action because of my faith in you? Where are you leading me? Just take time and, and don't worry if there's a line built up. We got a little bit of time here. Spend a moment with God grabbing on to one of those tassels. Just thank Him. And then come back and imagine Jesus in the chair next to you. Just spend a minute or two in prayer. pray with me. God, I just pray that if there's someone here that's not accepted Jesus, that that doesn't know you as their Savior, that they would come forward today, that they'd be able to place that faith in you, that you are the Messiah, the Messiah that can heal, the Messiah that can bring to life to death, the Messiah that can take all our sins and conquer Satan and take all those away and make us clean and make us new and make us revived and make us alive. God, I pray that if someone needs that, let them come to the prayer room to this morning and go talk to Jason back there. Let, let him come see one of us out outside and let's just talk to him about what it means to accept Jesus as their Savior. And God, for those of us that have accepted him already, Lord, we come to you right now in our faith. I pray that there's people here that are willing to come forward in their faith and ask you, God, what do you want me to do? What does this faith look like? For a father, that faith looked like running and humbling himself. For a bleeding woman, that faith looked like fighting through a crowd that she shouldn't have been. God, what's that faith look like for us today? God, let us come before you at this time of communion to remember your sacrifice on the cross. Let us come to you 